Hello and welcome to the April podcast. Uh, my name is Claire Lexicky and I'm here with Tommy Curtis. We support the coordination of the film programme at Watershed and we're here today with Mark Cousins. You are indeed. Writer and director of A Story of Children and Film, uh, an essay film which explores the relationship between childhood and cinema. Mark, uh, what interested you in exploring this area of children and film? To be honest, I was trying not to make a film. <laughs> I had made a bunch of films very fast, including a long one, the story of film, 15 hours, six years. And I thought, please make no more films. So I was trying to daydream and switch off and not film something. But then I was filming my niece and nephew, Laura and Ben, in a, in a room one morning. And I looked at them and I just thought, they're being so funny, so natural. They weren't trying to show off, particularly at start. And because I was determined not to make a film, I was filming in the most casual way. And I just thought, wow, there's something in there. There's a kind of, you know, there's a vitality in children and a, a, an enthusiasm and an unpredictability. And I started to think that's like the movies. The movies are great at vitality, unpredictability. The moment, as we say, you know, a child is just playing in the present tense, not thinking of last Tuesday or next Tuesday. And I started to realize cinema is exactly like that. And once that spark flies, I can't not make the film. I have to sort of make it to see if it works. I think the narrative is quite playful in the film. It, yeah. It's not it's not necessarily linear. No, or... it's totally not linear. Like, usually when I make films, you know, in the edit suite, you've got a big chart on the wall, three metres long, and you've got the scenes in order, and you're going from A to Z. This one, the only thing we put on the wall was a picture of a Paul Cezanne painting, a beautiful picture that's got lovely turquoises and pinks and greys and blues. And I said to the editor, let's just try and make a film that is pink and grey and blue, sounds very pretentious, but it was just like a mood piece and this editor, Timo Langer, who I've worked with for years, just went for it. So we just tried to make to, to make a film with the different moods of childhood. And, you know, it seemed to work. It was certainly fun zigzagging. It felt like jazz, it felt like stand-up comedy, just ad-libbing. You know, like you make music in your bedroom, yeah. boom, 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 see what happens. And it felt like that. It was beautiful. I mean, uh, what did you discover about how children are portrayed in cinema? Lots of things. Uh, the, the, the big thing that I realised was that I think cinema and children are really similar. They're kind of made for each other. There's a special bond. Movies of all the art forms, I think, are the best at childhood. Better than novels, better than paintings, and then they've just got that affinity. So they, they were the key big headline things that I discovered. Um, beyond that, I started to notice certain themes in children's cinema that are not only not marginal, but are, I would argue, centre to human experience. That idea of most children's films are in some way about liberty. They're about trying to stray, to break off the leash, to jump the hedge, to free yourself of the constraints of that your parents and your teachers tell you. Most children's films are about attachment in some way, learning to fall in love with the, the outside world, a bird, an extraterrestrial, a balloon. You know, there's an incredible moving idea that you have to empathise in order to be alive and, and these films are all about that uh, and lo lots of other big themes as well curiosity all sorts of things and so I started to realize that the themes in children's cinema are the big human themes in my opinion so not only is children's cinema on the edge or immature it's right at the heart of movies I think
Because there's that old adage, isn't there, about filmmakers that they should never work with sort of animals or children. Um, I'm presuming that you kind of reject that notion. This is a celebration <laughs> of that rejection. Yeah, absolutely, you presume, right? <laughs> I think that is incredibly misanthropic and also myopic. The reason it's myopic is that, you know, when you're directing, or even in this conversation, what we're trying to do is have a lively conversation. When you're directing a scene, you want life in the frame. That's what you're trying to get, a kind of unexpected vitality. Jean Renoir famously said, you must leave the door on the, sta on the stage open so unpredictable reality comes in. What's the easiest way to have unpredictable reality in your film? Put a child or an animal in there. It's as simple as that. Of course, it's scary because you don't know what's going to happen. But if you're open to that, then your movie becomes fresh. Think of the way Terence Malick made Tree of Life, for example. You know, he had Brad Pitt, huge movie stars, huge cameras, but he was always interested in the unpredictable reality. Just, he told the kids, just to run and I'll follow you. Run around and see that tree, and then if sunlight comes through the tree, you grab that as well. If you're open to that unpredictable reality, i.e. play, if you're open to the play of a child, then the chances are your movie will have something. It'll have a fun, it'll have a, a joy. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship with Mohammed Al-Taliban, um, who features quite yes. heavily in this season? Yes. How did you discover his films? In 1992, I was uh, working at the Edinburgh Film Festival. I'd seen some Iranian films, didn't know too much about Iranian cinema. I wrote to the Iranian government, as you do, I don't even know how I did that, you know. I wrote to them, said, could I, I'm running a film festival in Scotland. A month or so later, a shoebox came back with old VHS videos, uh, hand-typed little labels on each of them, and one of them said, the boot, Talibi. Never heard of the film or never heard of Talibi. I put it on and I found myself, if it was a 60-minute film, I found myself thinking, this is as great as Bicycle Thieves. This is, what, this is as great as Ozu. That is great. Um, and so this was the, the name Talibi was planted in my head and the seed grew. And I, watched, I looked out for his name anytime I heard of one of his films. I would see them. Almost none of them ever distributed in the UK. But I saw a film, Bag of Rice, which is just one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Tilda Swinton and I worked together on a series of little experimental fun film festivals. We started showing his work there. And again and again, when the lights would go up, people would be hugging and crying as if they'd had some kind of spiritual experience or something. He, I call it the Talaby lift. There's a moment in his films which are usually about very ordinary kids doing very ordinary things. That moment, suddenly, you feel as if you're witnessing something more metaphysical. It's like the best in Robert Bresson films. You're seeing a kind of universe. You're seeing, in the moment, a kind of eternity, uh, which is very exciting. And then I saw his film, Willow and Wind, and I thought, my god, this is a masterpiece. Uh, I've never met him, but he's coming to the UK and he's touring around uh, and I'm going to meet him um, in, I think, a couple of weeks. He could be a monster, but I hear he's the loveliest, loveliest man. And so I think I'm probably going to fall in love, you know. Uh, but um, you're always asking yourself, why are movies in my heart? Why are they so close to me? You know, why have they befriended me all, all my life? And it's because of films like Talibis. In with the simplest of means, he gets to something remarkable. It's like the paintings of Giotto. It's extraordinary. The, the, the Kiristami says that 
the great Iranian films are poor on the outside, but rich on the inside. This is what you get with the films of Muhammad Ali Talibi. We are very, very excited about having him. I um, know. You, We've got him on the fan? 17th of April. That's for fantastic. When went. Yes. This is once in a lifetime chance. Yep. You know, I'm sure your audience knows this, but he's never been in the UK before, might never be again, to meet one of the world's greatest filmmakers. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Eight and a Half Foundation, um, which aims to get children watching a wider range of films other than just the, the Hollywood offer? Tilda Swinton and I both fell in love with cinema at the, at the age of eight and a half, we reckon. Uh, and we thought it would be funny to have almost like a movie bar mitzvah or an initi initiation ceremony so that we could propose to children that on their eight and a half birthday, they step across a threshold from the prosaic world of reality to the magical world of cinema. So, so we started doing screenings or trying to make an event uh, which involved lots of dancing and glitter balls and then a curtain opening and a great film showing for eight and a half year old children. The idea is that a, some, a child around the age of eight and a half is ready for a big imaginative experience and isn't yet being so cool that they're not afraid to really enjoy themselves. You know, it's not yet about which type of iPhone you've got, you know, although it's probably <laughs> almost there. <laughs> These things are getting younger and younger. So it's to try and capitalize on the plenitude of the child's imagination at that stage. So we started doing events in Scotland. We were funded by Creative Scotland to do things for two years where we would either put on films for children or more importantly, propose to ch the children themselves that they have a eight and a half birthday party. We would send them DVDs wrapped up in gorgeous sparkly wrapping paper. Parents were furious because they'd open the box and there'd be tinsel everywhere. And we thought, who cares? It's excitement. And you'd get a happy birthday party, happy movie birthday party card, etc. And that idea too, I love this idea of re-enchanting the movie going experience to emphasize that enchantment. That was what the Eight and a Half Foundation was. Um, can you give us a flavor of what films that we can expect within this season? Yes, um, we have maybe the best film is also the shortest. It's 10 minutes older, it's called, and it's about a little Latvian boy and we just see his face and he's looking at probably a puppet show. And you know the way children's emotions are like weather on a March day, you know, it can be pouring with rain one minute and then sunny the next. And this is like we see an incredible range of emotions on this little boy's face. This film is so special, this 10 minute film, that I showed it in Edinburgh in the mid 90s. And as a result, a producer made two feature films inspired by the one short film. Really brilliant. From Sweden, there's a remarkable film called Hugo and Josephine. Josephine's a little girl who, like lots of children in the movies, she's got a solitude, a quietude about her, but she's a real adventurer. She's understimulated and she just wants to go a bit wild and sort of play and see what happens and be risky, almost a danger to herself. She meets this old gentleman with a big beard who she sort of thinks is God, but he's not. And he's just a lot of fun. And he teaches her how to stuff too many apples and eggs in her mouth. And it's just wonderful. There's a film called Long Live the Republic from the Czechoslovakia in the 1950s, which it's almost like if Orson Welles had directed a kid's movie, that's what it'd be like. Technically dazzling, beautiful widescreen, really deep focus. You know, for people who are interested in this, photography, the visual look of cinema, this is a bit of a must. 
Um, and nearly all these films have never been shown before in the UK. Uh, loads of films from Iran, two films from Africa. Uh, a stunning film from Japan called Moving, which starts almost like a kind of Ken Loach film, a quite realist picture about a girl whose parents are spitting up, but builds and builds and becomes operatic and operatic, more like a Visconti picture and, or Sergio Leone or something like that. Wonderful. Yeah, we're, we're kicking off the season with that. It just, oh, have you? Yeah. Have you seen it? I haven't, I've only seen the start of oh, it. It's just, just yeah. incredible. You know, it's one. And he, Somai, who made that film, is particularly good at the long tracking shot or the crane shot. And you think, when is this shot going to finish? and it takes in more and more and there's like a universe in one of those shots alone. Really an eye-opener for people who haven't seen so many films. It's really right to say he's important a filmmaker as Sergio Leone. So the cinema and childhood season, it focuses primarily on foreign titles. Um, there's been some strong British films um, throughout history like Cares, Backcatcher and more recently Selfish Giant. But do you think British filmmakers could do more to make children more central to our filmmaking culture? Yes, I think we could. You know, you're right, these films are great. I loved Selfish Giant, I loved Ratcatcher, etc. I think, however, British cinema, I would give it a kind of B or B plus in terms of its portrayal of kids, you know. It's not up there with the A's like Iran or Sweden or the Czech Republic or Japan, etc. Uh, there are a number of reasons for this. I think, I think in the UK, we're a very literate culture that's one of the brilliant things about us you know books are central to our culture reading is central to our culture and therefore the films that we really value are often quite literate which is a mistake i think you know and if we really valued other things then we'd probably make more children's films i think that you know this idea the it's quite an old idea now of the stiff upper lip, the British with the stiff upper lip. There's some truth in the fact that British people are pretty guarded. They don't really throw caution to the wind all the time, you know. And what's great about children is they do throw caution to the wind. They do go wild. They've got a real surreal imagination. And if that was more central to our culture, I think we would celebrate surrealism, wildness more by making more films about kids. When we made a story of children in film, my nephew, who's in the film, said to me, Uncle Maxi, when we do this Q&A thing, can we dress up as a monkey? <laughs> I've never been asked to dress up as a monkey before to do a Q&A. That comes out of nowhere. And Seamus Heaney said, inspiration is a ball kicked in from nowhere. And that's what we need. We need more balls kicked in from nowhere. And you, and you did it, I think, didn't you? In Edinburgh I did. Well, I wore, you know, I wore one monkey hand, but yeah. cinema was so hot, I was sweating, so I even had to take the hand off. I've got, by the way, my monkey hand here with me today. Amazing. <laughs> it she goes everywhere one. with me. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, we've recently had a few uh, different introductions at the Watershed where we've got young people to introduce the films. <laughs> And you never quite know what's going to happen. And it's great. It just feels really, yeah, it's very yeah, inspiring. You know, song and dance routines, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, there is a danger that we sort of make cinema a bit more boring than it is. You know, you get asked to do panels on things. You know, at film festivals, can you do a panel on the future of film criticism in the digital age and all that stuff? I always say absolutely not, unless we can dress up or unless there's a musical interlude or something to yeah. change the form, absolutely. to be playful. You know, panels are the least playful thing in the world, you know, the world, life yeah, does not need another panel. Yeah, there's room for innovation in the Q&A format. <laughs> absolutely, <it>? absolutely. <laughs> what would you like audiences to go away with after seeing perhaps your own film and the season that we're putting on? I think that people 
if they go to see these films, will feel that they've seen some of the best films that they've ever seen and the films that are closest to the truth about what it's like to be alive, that, that capture the light and shade, the kind of sorrow and joy of being alive. And these films have more amplitude, emotional amplitude, than a lot of films that you see. You know, to be honest, I just want people to have a good time when they see these films. I just want them to see great cinema and to feel totally alive. Feel more alive when you go out of the movie house than when you went in. You know, sometimes we can get stuck in a rut and think that there are 20 emails we haven't replied to. And you just think, forget all that. And these films operate on a much bigger canvas than that. We've been very inspired at the watershed. From this season, we've got a range of films happening throughout April. You know, our Sunday brunches have been programmed based on this. So we're showing I Wish, uh, 400 Blows, The White Balloon uh, and Moon Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and yeah, we've also got the new Lucas Moodison film coming out. Which I haven't seen yet, but I hear um, it's fantastic. We are the best. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and then, of course, you're joining us on the 10th of April for a Q&A. So we're very much looking forward to that. So full details of the season can be found on our website, www.watershed.co.uk. Mark, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for chatting. It's been a delight. Thanks.